everybody. Welcome to Hacks and Jacks. It's episode 73. I am your host today. I am Scott Chu. It's been about a month since we've been able to talk to you. Uh, unfortunately, my good friend Joe Galina, who I'm usually talking to you with, is not able to join us right now. He is sick, but I am very lucky to have my friend Chad Young on the show. We're going to be talking about hitters. Chad, how you doing, my man? Doing good, Scott. Good to talk to you. Yeah, good to talk to you, too. It's good to talk to somebody who's not a baby for me. Obviously, uh, we... <laughs> been out for about a month because i had twin babies they're doing great uh I, I won't bore you with all the talk about them but they're babies they're doing great and they're doing baby stuff so so that's great and i'm i'm glad to talk about baseball instead of just like watching it and following it silently in the middle of the night while i'm waiting for a baby to sleep well and you know three weeks with a baby is still sort of a, a small sample size but it's getting to a point where you can their plate discipline is starting to be meaningful so you, you should be checking that seeing what's going on are they are they taking the pitches they should take you got enough data to start answering some of those questions. This is a consummate professional, folks. We're going right into the show <laughs> right now. This is the data that you're looking for. Uh, before, we get, before we get too deep, you can find me on Twitter at IfTheChewFits. You can also catch my work. I do the hitter list. It comes out every Wednesday. My good friend uh, Dave Swan has been covering for me the last few weeks. I will be able to do the hitter list this week. So Wednesday, 2 o'clock, check it out. We'll have the hitter list. Chad, uh, where can they find you? What are you working on? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Chad Young. That's probably the best place to find all the stuff I do because I sort of post stuff around. My my big sources of work are the Keeper Cut podcast right here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. Uh, we usually come out on Wednesdays, but we've been, I think we've been sort of swapping with you. We've been, we've been covering that Monday slot occasionally recently. So uh, we're, but we're usually on Mondays. We talk Keeper Leagues, Long-Term Leagues. Auto New is our, our big focus. If, you, if you're not familiar with Auto New, it's a keeper slash dynasty format that's hosted over at fan graphs that i've been part of and playing for a really long time and so we talk a lot about that i also write over at fan graphs where i edit their auto new and, and keeper league coverage so that's where you can that's where you can find me yeah, don't be too modest chad is one of the folks that helped create auto new so so that's pretty cool uh, <laughs> that's to have true. you on the show you know, oh I've, I've been playing for a while very cool chad very cool uh, <laughs> um all right but yeah so so we're here. We're going to talk about hitters. I'm going to kind of skip the news and notes because I've been out of the, I've been out of it for a little bit. You've probably heard a lot of folks talk about a lot of the news that's going on right now. The thing I want to talk about, and this is really inspired by you know the hitter list that I do. I, I do the Reddit AMAs. Uh, if you're on Reddit, you can check it out on the Fantasy Baseball uh, Twitter or sorry on the subreddit for Fantasy Baseball. We have an AMA. It comes out every Friday at noon. And I get a lot of questions, particularly about a couple things. I get a lot of questions about players that are really heating up or hot right, you know, right now. I get questions about veteran players who they thought they could rely on that all of a sudden stink. And then sort of like a mix of the two of like, what do I, you know, should I cut this player for this player? And so I wanted to do a show, uh, you know, and it's great to have Chad on. We're going to just do a show to talk about some of these players, how we look at players in general. You know, young players making waves or uh, players that are hot or players that are super cold. We're going to talk a little bit about just generally speaking, how we look at those players. Then we're going to actually go through a bunch of them and hopefully give you some some info that's maybe even a little actionable for your leagues. If you've been thinking about these players or you already scooped them up, what to expect, what you should do with them, those kinds of things. So I think the way I want to start this is to actually take us back in the past a little bit. I want to talk about April 2022. It was, you know, it was a good time for America, I think. You know, we're on the upswing. We're fresh out of COVID. It was great. And in fantasy baseball, we had a couple names that were just blowing up the airwaves. Uh, I'll start, you know, the first name I'll say, which many of you might re remember, Sheldon Noisy, right? So Sheldon Noisy, who was 
with the uh, Oakland A's. He was hitting home runs all over the place. Eric Hosmer was having a resurgence. J.P. Crawford, shortstop for Seattle Mariners. He was hitting the ball all over the place. Max Kepler for the Twins. He was finding power. He was hitting the ball. Uh, you know, Daniel Vogelbach doing his power hitting and walk thing. Even Austin Meadows, right? He had just joined the Tigers. Didn't have any home runs, but just slapping the ball all over the place. These were names that were all over the place in April 2022. And the reason I'm bringing them up is because you probably forgot about a lot of them, right? Because they just weren't relevant for the rest of the season. They were just guys who got hot at a certain time or who have a certain skill set that le- that lends itself towards running really hot and cold. And the reason they were so notable is because in April, those are the only stats we have, right? We, we don't have the great wash yet, right? We don't have the, the huge amount of data. We just had this one month, and these were names that really uh, excited people. And this is not, you know, this whole podcast will not just be telling you that every young player is garbage and you should hate all of them. That, that would be silly. That'd be no fun. But I do want to talk It'd about... It'd be quick, though. We could be done yeah. already. Yeah, we, we could. <laughs> we could just go right back to doing what we were doing. Uh, but I, I think... It's important to talk about at the at the very least, just to begin this show, I want to talk about how do you avoid traps? How do you, you know, just from a general strategy perspective, how do you start trying to differentiate between the hot hitter and the good hitter? Right. So I, I think I'll open it up with just talking about expected stats. Statcast is so great. We have a ton of those resources right on our own site on pitcherlist.com. We have our own version of those X stats, which are actually quite a bit better in some ways because we do factor in things that regular X stats don't. But generally, X stats, it's really easy to say, oh man, look at this player. The X stats are all really good. That means this player is going to be good forever, right? Like it's it's so real. Uh, if they're, you know, they're slugging 98th percentile now, that means that they're a 98th percentile slugger. And it sounds like I'm just oversimplifying, but that's really what we see a lot of folks do. And I just want to tell you that the biggest thing expected stats tell you isn't, it doesn't so much tell you that a player is super skillful, although it can, it's really telling you about luck, right? So expected stats are telling you that like, yeah, they're slugging really high and it's because they are hitting the ball really hard, right? But what it can't distinguish is between a good hitter and a hot hitter, right? Expected stats can only tell you that yes, for the last two weeks or for the last month, they've been hitting the ball really hard. Xats can't really tell you if they're going to keep hitting the ball hard. So, so Chad, let's talk a little bit. How do you use expected stats and stats in general this early in the season, especially when we have such small samples for most data? Yeah, it, it is one of the first X Woba says his Woba is legitimate. Therefore, it's legitimate. But it's a first place to look to just see, is this guy being particularly lucky or unlucky, right? Like, oh, man, this guy is a 400 Woba. He's having this great start to the year. And then you go and look at his ex-woba is 300. It's like, okay, I can pretty quickly start to figure out something's not right there. So it's it's sort of a first stop shop to like, all right, let's just find out if there's something obviously misleading about the over overarching numbers for this guy. But after that, I want to dig into, I want to dig into their plate discipline, right? Not just their stri- strikeout rate and walk rate, but like, are they swinging more, swinging less? Are they making more contact or less contact? Are they chasing more often than I'd like to see them chase? Um, and then I want to go sort of below the X stats as well. Like if I'm looking at their contact, I don't want to just look at their XO, but I actually want to look at things like their hard hit rate, their barrel rate. Has their exit velocity gone up? Have they set a new career max exit velocity? Like things like that, that start to point to, a skill to something that's repeatable to something that I can actually buy into. And I think, you know, we, we talked about this a little bit before we, we started recording, but like 
a looping line drive that gets over the infield and lands shallow in the outfield has a very high expected batting average and ex-woba because those like soft looping liners fall in all the time. So you don't, if you look at just the ex-woba and you're like, oh, it looks legitimate. It could just be that this guy's just hitting a, a bunch of bloops that are falling in. And that's, it's going to show up as a high bat perhaps, but it's not going to show up as an out of, out of whack ex-woba because those are hits that are legitimately hits. But it isn't a super repeatable skill and it's not something you want to be banking on a guy doing over and over and over again. Whereas if you see that a guy is barreling the ball a bunch, like that is a skill. And that is something you're like, okay, if this guy's actually able to make solid contact repeatedly, now I'm intrigued. Now I want to sort of figure out what what led to this change, what led to this improvement, what's leading to this breakout. Because the 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 barrel rate or something like that might tell me that the the breakout is that there's something legitimate to it, but I want more to tell me why it happened. Does that make sense? I feel like I it, no, it really does. <laughs> and I think the way I would add to that is talk about my favorite thing, which is rolling charts, right? Because right. the other thing that's important to remember is that let's say a player had a 10% barrel rate last year. That doesn't mean they had a 10% barrel rate in April, right? Or May. They might not have had a 10% barrel rate any given month, right? It, it goes sure. up and down throughout the season. So in addition to looking at whether those X stats are backing up what they're doing now, I also want to see if this is out of the norm for what this player does, right? So an example, a trope of player that we'll talk about throughout this episode would be uh, some of the free swinging sluggers, right? Uh, a good example right now, he's not, you know, he's cooled off a bit, but Patrick Wisdom, right? So Patrick Wisdom yeah. is a guy, swings the bat real, real hard. And when he's making contact, he is crushing the ball everywhere. Right. And the X stats tell you that that's what he's doing because he is right. These aren't lucky home runs. He's hitting him a long way and he's doing a really good job. But we also know that over time, pitchers find holes in his swing because there's a bunch of them. Right. And they they're able to take advantage of that. And it kind of comes and goes in waves. Every player is a, every player is adapting to each other throughout the season. Right. Nobody like there is no constant player everybody's kind of doing these ups and downs back and forth. doesn't matter who you are. You can be Mike Trout. You can be, uh, you know, someone, someone, I mean, you can be Sheldon noisy, right? Because what happens is, you know, you find, you know, a hitter finds something that works and then pitchers are like, well, I don't want to get beat by that anymore. So they start changing how they pitch to a guy or changing where they locate pitches against a guy. And it just this back and forth. The great players are the ones who work through those adjustments and are able to be good no matter what those pitchers throw at them. Other players, will find that they had the best month of their life, uh, like a Yearman Mercedes, and then pitchers found holes and the batter never comes back from it, right? And unfortunately, X stats don't tell us which, you know, whether a player will be one or the other, right? We're sort of forced to wait to see what happens. It, the best things you can do are exactly what Chad said. That's looking at things like, you know, did they change what they're swinging at? Did they change what they're making contact with? Did they change those things? Or, you know, if they're hitting a bunch of line drives, it's possible that they're able to do that for a season. But line drives are a good example of things that players have a really hard time controlling because if you just think about the round bat on the round ball, the difference between a ground ball and a line drive is, you know, millimeters on the bat in many cases. So how, you know, how good are hitters at controlling that? Not terrible, but, you know, a, a tw you know, a 10 to 15% spike in line drive rate from their you know, previous year or, you know, from previous highs might be something different, but it might also just be 
the players getting ju- you know they're it's a little bit of luck right it's skill driven luck i like to call it right like they're good enough to swing the bat and hit the ball but they're getting a little bit better results than maybe you can expect them to get long term so yeah i, I mean that Chad- line drive rate that line drive rate it's a, it's a great example you mentioned patrick wisdom and patrick wisdom as you said he's already started to cool off a bit and so maybe he's Maybe that makes him a good example because because we can already see where where things are headed a little bit. But he's running as of right now, even with that sort of quieter week, a twenty three point eight percent line drive rate. His career line drive rate is nineteen point five percent. His last two years, he's been nineteen point five and seventeen point one percent. Like that twenty three point eight, he's not going to continue that. I just I. I I don't see anything in his profile to suggest that he's going to continue to hit line drives at that rate. And hitting line drives at that rate would be great, right? If you're hitting almost 24% line drives, line drives turn into hits at a really high rate. So as that starts to fall, everything else is going to fall with it. And so that's a really good example of where it's like, does everything look legitimate? I mean, yeah, everything looks pretty legitimate. His his ex woba is lower than his WOBA, but it's still very good. It would still be a career high for him if he if he stuck with that. But part of that is because those line drives look legit to Xwoba, but they're not going to keep happening. And so his Xwoba is going to fall as those line drive rate, as that line drive rate falls. I mean, if you look at what he's done, his fly ball rate is very much in line with where he's been the last couple of years. It's, it's an up a little bit, but you know, 49.2% in 2021, 488 in 2022, 50.8 this year. All that's happened is about you know, compared to last year, it's like 10% of his ground balls have turned into line drives. 10 percentage points of his batted balls, I guess you should say. 34.1% ground ball rate last year, down to 254 this year. Those have almost all turned into line drives. That's not going to continue. And as those line drives turn back into ground balls, it's it's not going to end well for him. <laughs> no, and the other thing we know just from the rolling charts, which, you know, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at If The Two Fits if you want to know more about these. But basically what the rolling charts will tell you is, This is what Patrick Wisdom looks like when he's hot, right? He does it multiple times throughout the year. There's going to be a couple of three to four week periods where you're going to be like, oh, hey, look, Patrick Wisdom is at the top of my last 15 days rankings on my Yahoo free agent list, right? Because that's what Patrick Wisdom is. He's a free swinger. He swings it hard. And every once in a while, the ball looks like a beach ball to him, and he's able to just crush it for a little bit. But eventually, he goes back to being the other version of Patrick Wisdom, which is a player who strikes out way too much for you to really roster in most formats, and a guy who, again, is really just a power asset. There's nothing that we've seen, especially if you look at the rolling charts, there's nothing that we've seen that tells me this is a different Patrick Wisdom than the Patrick Wisdom we had in 2021 or in 2022. Rolling charts can really help you with that and really give you a sense of, is this a different guy, or is this just what he looks like when he's hot? And it just so happens, so far in the short 2023, all we've seen is the hot version. I think that's a really important thing to kind of get to, a really important thing to look at as we look at uh, you know, X stats and, and players and things like that. And you know, we're going to move on to the young players in just a minute. The other thing I just want to say is one to two series really still impacts stat lines a great deal, right? a hot series or two right now completely changes the look, right? So Nolan Gorman is a good example of this. I didn't put him in my young players making waves because he's really struggled the last like two weeks. And if you look at his overall batting average, it looks like he's been a 270 hitter, but really he was like a 350, 400 hitter for like a week and a half. And since then he's been a high strikeout, you know, 
200-ish batting average guy like he was in previous stints in the major. So Nolan Gorman isn't showing me a lot of different things from what we've seen from him in the past. It's just that because the sample's small, we're really only seeing what the hot streaks uh, look like and how they impact his overall line. But the the cold streaks are coming. Like, they're already here. So, you know, yes, the, did the XSAT say that Nolan Gorman was hitting the ball hard? Yeah, absolutely he was, right? He was hitting the ball hard. We know that he can hit the ball hard. We also know that he's prone to slumps because he's a free-swinging guy who strikes out a lot, right? And pitchers are able to take advantage of that. So, uh, that's, that's one of the things, just remember that he had, like, three good series, and that has carried his stat line really since then. And there's lots of players like this currently in the pool where, you know, you'll say, oh, wow, he's been the 15th best outfielder in my league that, you know, so far this year. And it's like, yeah, because he was the very best one for six days. Right. And so it still has a huge impact on the overall and the schedule. Life. The schedule is so imbalanced at this point, right? Everyone hasn't played everyone yet. Everyone's so you don't know. You actually have to be very particular about looking like what pitchers did he face? What parks did he hit in? Because by the end of the year, that all comes out in the wash, right? It's, you know, maybe not entirely, but it is fairly rare for a player other than their home park to be in a situation where you're like, yeah, they played all their games in this, you know, they played their games all in good hitters parks, or they faced a bunch of terrible pitchers. Like by the end of the season, that that comes out in the wash again, except for the home park, which we know, but at this point in the season, a player who's played an outsized number of home or road games has played an outsized number of games at cores on the road, right? They happen to have it like the Cardinals already played at cores. They're not going to do that again. So like that's, that's in his stats. Now a, a pit player who has, you know, been fortunate with the pitching they faced, regardless of what park it's at and has faced a bunch of bad pitchers. Like they're going to eventually face good pitchers and it's the results are going to, are going to show that. And so there's so many little things at this point in the season that can just make a hitter look better or worse for that matter than they really are. Yeah, like your very own guardians finally get to face Tigers pitching uh, coming up this week, right? Like they've been one of the worst slugging teams in baseball and they might still be, but it's going to look a whole lot better, I think, uh, halfway through this week, <laughs> right? It's just little. I, I, like sure, I sure hope so. <laughs> Uh, it, it just it's just how that kind of thing works. So let's talk a little bit about uh, young players making waves. There's been a lot of young players who have just been real hot early in the season, players that we're getting a lot of questions about. So we're going to take what we just talked about, turn that into uh, turn that into some analysis of specific players. I want to start with one who really started getting some heat last season because he had a great walk rate in the minors for the first time in like ever came up, didn't do much, but right now he's in Oakland A. He's leading off of them, stealing a boatload of bases. That's a Sturry Ruiz, right? So Sturry Ruiz, again, stealing tons of bases, but there isn't much power in this bat. Right now, he's probably all over the top of league rankings right now, especially if he's still in your uh, free agent pool. And yeah. the thing about a Sturry Ruiz is, you know, Chad talked about those slap singles, right? That's what a Sturry Ruiz is, right? I mean, that's it's almost the extent of his power. So really, the question I've been asking, and, and Chad, I'd love to hear your opinion on it, is, is Asturi Ruiz just Billy Hamilton, who is situationally useful and who can provide a specific thing? But you know, can he be more than Billy Hamilton? So I think the answer is sort of both yes and no, which is a, a total cop-out, but I'm going to give it anyways. <laughs> um, so Hamilton, like Hamilton's career max exit velocity is 106.8. Ruiz has already topped that this year. He's got one over 108. Hard hit rates for Hamilton hovered around 10% through most of his career. 
and he had exit velocities at like 81, 82 miles per hour on average. Ruiz is over 27% around 85 miles per hour on his exit velocity. So he is like, you know, if you go look at Estuary Ruiz's stat cast sliders, they are all very blue, but there is blue and there is Billy Hamilton blue <laughs> and Ruiz is not Billy Hamilton blue. And so that in and of itself is a difference. He also is striking out a lot less than Hamilton did through most of the, his, his prime, if you can call it that he's walking less too. So, you know, we'll have to see, like you talked about, he, he spiked his walk rate last year in the minors. It hasn't really shown up in the majors. I don't actually think that walk rate is going to come around because I don't think hitters, I don't, sorry, I don't think pitchers are afraid to challenge him. And so he's just not going to see that many, if you get to a three ball count against him, you might as well just throw him a strike and see what he can do with it. Cause he's not, he's not going to punish it most likely. I mean, a one ball count on a Ruiz might as well just start piping <laughs> right. it in. Right. Fair enough. Yeah. And, and I think, so I think at the end of the day, and he's also, by the way, compared to Hamilton, like Hamilton became an absolutely elite center fielder. Ruiz is not there yet. And that doesn't really necessarily matter for fantasy directly, but it does indirectly because it'll impact whether or not the A's continue to invest in him. So my, my overall take on him is like, I don't think Ruiz is going to be a very good hitter per se. I think that he strikes out at a low enough rate and is fast enough and is is smart enough with how he uses his bat. Like he's not trying to sell out for power, right? He's just trying to put the ball in play and see what can happen. And I think he'll run pretty decent, maybe even high averages because of that. But he's not going to walk a ton. So the on-base percentages will be low. He's not going to hit for a lot of power. He's not going to drive in very many runs. He will, if he hits for a high average, steal a billion bases every year. Like that's, that is very possible. So when I gave that answer of like both yes and no to Hamilton, it's, I actually think he could be a better version of Billy Hamilton. He's not going to do anything for you that Hamilton didn't do. Like if you, if you were playing this game, you know, seven, eight years ago, whatever it was when Hamilton was actually playing regularly, you knew that if you drafted him, you plugged him in for his stolen bases. He was going to do nothing else for you, but he was going to get you those steals. I think Ruiz can do that, but is a just slightly better hitter where he won't hurt you as much in other areas. He might even be able to be a three category guy if he continues to lead off because at least he can help you. Like, I think he can help you with average. He can help you with runs and he's going to, you know, he's a category winner in stolen bases. Yeah, I really like, first of all, that you did the research on Billy Hamilton instead of like me just being like, I remember Billy Hamilton. This feels like that. Uh, so, no, so that was really good. <laughs> and I agree with you. Ruiz is a better hitter. He's not a good hitter, but he's a right. better hitter, right? He's he's good enough. I think Ruiz almost to me looks like, you know, he's better than Billy Hamilton and that I do think he can make contact more than Billy Hamilton did. I think that he can, it's not going to be a lot of home runs, but he can hit a few. I also think that, you know, it's interesting. I'd love if he did a little more, I can't believe I'm saying this. I'd love if he did a little bit more of what Miles Straw does, which is walk, right? You mentioned it as well. Miles Straw for yeah. the Guardians, he does walk, right? And the problem with Miles Straw is that, you know, he he walks, but he can't hit at all. Uh, <laughs> he just yeah. has no bat on him. So uh, if he's not walking to first base, he's probably not getting there. And therefore, it limits his opportunity to steal. He can be good in spurts because his bat gets hot. But even a hot bat for him just means slap singles and not doubles, right? So he's just really limited what he can do. I think Ruiz can be a better version of those guys, even if he doesn't walk. And I agree with you. I don't think walking is something Ruiz wants to do or that he needs to do. Uh, he's the type of player who, uh, because because of the way he plays, 
it's almost better for him to just keep trying to make contact because he's not going to strike out a ton. He's not a guy that yeah. I think is going to be posting these, you know, potentially 25, 30% strikeout rates for any meaningful period of time because he has better bat skills than that. Because of that, I think he should keep slapping the ball, trying to get to first base. And the A's don't have other ways to score runs. They need to small ball their way to everything. So they're going to let him run. So Astoria Ruiz, a guy, I think generally in points leagues, he's going to be very situational, right? Because most points leagues don't care about stolen bases. Uh, And so his value is really driven by the fact that a lot of those slaps are falling for singles. But in Roto or in leagues where you care about stolen bases, Ruiz is good enough to roster uh, because he's more than just steals, where there's a lot of other, as uh, others would call them, rabbits who only steal, right? That's, That's the Miles Straw problem. He only steals. Yeah, uh, well, I think the, the, just the, a little better. The name, the name I'm going to throw out there. And this is I don't even know how helpful this is to most people because it, it might be. This is a very different era, and so this player is looked at very differently because of the era he played in. But Ruiz reminds me more of Vince Coleman than he does of Billy Hamilton. So right. Coleman, for his career, ran a 16.1 percent strikeout rate. So he didn't strike, which, which at that time was not super low, but it wasn't high. He walked. 8% of the time, which I think Ruiz can get back up to six, seven, eight percent And so he regularly ran like, you know, 280, 290 type averages while stealing a bunch of bases. And yeah, he'd pop a couple home runs here or there, but that wasn't what he was, that wasn't what he was known for. Now it was, it, it's a different era. And I think like Vin, there, there's a, there's a sense of like nostalgia around a guy that uh, like Coleman that I think makes him seem better than then maybe I intend for this to be. I mean, like if you look back at Vince Coleman's career, he was like a two to three win player at, at his peak. And and I think Ruiz has that kind of like, that's the, the direction I think he could go as compared to Hamilton, who, if it weren't for his defense would have been out of baseball much sooner and just could not hit at all. Yeah. I like that comp a lot. I think from a fantasy perspective, I've been trying to think like, what is the 90th percentile Asturias Ruiz best season? What does that look like? And I think it's, it's almost like Whit Merrifield on the years that he only hit 10 home runs. Right. So he yeah. hit 10 home runs, steal like 30 to 40 bases with a high batting average. Ruiz might have like a little less power than that. Maybe a little less batting average, but could steal more bases, right? So uh, that's the kind of player that you're looking at. I mean, that's and that's absolute peak. I think generally, if you're getting if you're rostering Ruiz, it's because you need steals. And if your league doesn't value steals, Ruiz is valuable for now, and he'll be droppable later. Which is weird to say because in Roto, he's not droppable at all because you just need those steals. No, I mean a perfect example is I have him in a uh, a five by five dynasty league that I play in just traditional five by five. I have him; he is locked into my lineup, and I don't expect to move him out very much unless I build a lead in stolen bases that allows me to move him out. In my auto new leagues, which are mostly points, I also play some four by four where the offensive categories are on base, slugging, home runs, and runs. I I haven't even considered picking him up. He's not on my radar at all for those formats. Yeah, no, great example. You know, another player, you know, we'll move on to another player here. Another guy who I thought would be more of a slap and speed guy, but is showing us a little more than that. That's Jaron Duran of the Boston Red Sox. He's been really hot lately, getting starts in the outfield for them. Yeah, as a prospect, he really kind of tooled as a hit tool and speed guy, which, you know, for fantasy has limited but meaningful use. And, you know, we saw him a bit last season and it wasn't good, right? But Duran right now, just hitting the absolute crap out of the ball. You know, again, if you're looking at your ESPN player Raiders or your, you know, top available free agents, if Duran is in that pool, he's at the top of it 
But, you know, Chad, what do you think about Duran? Is this is this a guy who you still think is more of a slap and speed player who we're just seeing what he looks like when he's white hot? Or are you seeing something a little different that might make us think he's better than what he showed us last season? Yeah, I think it's a little bit that he's actually better. And, and this is a case where one of my favorite, I don't, know if it's a, I don't know if it's a tool, but it's one of my favorite things to look for is where narrative and stats match up. And Duran's a really good example of that where he, he made a swing change this offseason. He came into spring training with a new swing and he had good results. And he ta- he talked a lot about this. Like if you Google Jaron Duran swing change, you can see articles where he talks about like he's trying to do less actually. Like he doesn't want to try to crush every pitch. He wants to go where the pitch is thrown. He, he wants to be able to go the other way more often and just hit the ball where he can hit it well without trying to just destroy everything. And then you look at the numbers and like his pull rate is way down. He's swinging less, especially at pitches outside the zone. He's making more contact, especially with pitches inside the zone. Like that's all really good stuff, but it, it also very closely ties to what he says he's trying to do. So when you hear a guy say, I'm trying to do this, and then you look at the numbers and he's doing it and it's leading to success, it's like, okay, he he really tried to make some changes here and do something different in it, and it's working out for him. Now, I do have some concerns with him. Um one of which is if you do that Google search I recommended on Jaron Duran swing change, you'll also see articles from like a year ago. This isn't the first time he's done this. And that that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like sometimes you have to make changes until something clicks. Another guy like that is Jared Kelnick, who's always tinkering with his swing. And so this spring when everyone was like, oh, he has a new swing and he's crushing the ball. I was like, eh, let me see him do it for real. And now he's doing it for real. And I feel like I missed out. But, but like... I do have a little bit of a sense of that with Duran. It's like, eh, let's let's see how long this lasts. Um, he's also because he's pulling the ball so much less. That's go- that's going to hurt his power output. And so you're asking, like, can he be more than like a slap hitter? I- I'm not actually sure the approach he has right now is going to allow him to tap into his power very well. What he is doing that, like, for example, Ruiz is not. Is he is hitting the ball hard? Like his his hard hit rates and his barrel rates and things like that are are, are much better than they are for like what you think of as a traditional slap hitter. But if he's spraying the ball around the park, that's going to lead to great results in terms of average. It could lead to good results in a base percentage. It could lead to a high ISO and a decent slugging and and a lot of doubles and triples with his speed, but it's not going to lead to a lot of home runs. And so there, there is a little bit of concern there. And the last thing with him is he's still striking out 25% of the time, like despite the better contact, despite the lower chase rate, that's still a pretty high strikeout rate for a guy who isn't going to provide much power. and. I don't know, especially with just 6% walk rate. So like there's some things I'm sort of a little nervous about, I would say, but I really like in general what I see with him. And I'm I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. I, I think that I do think he can be more, like I like him more than Ruiz. I think he can do more for you than Ruiz can across the board. Although if you need stolen bases, Ruiz is obviously the the better choice. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think comparing guys to Ruiz is tough because in Roto, those those stolen bases carry yeah. such a weight. And then even in, even if you just go to head-to-head categories, right? Stolen bases lose value quickly because mm-hmm. you don't need that many to win a single week. Uh, you don't need Ruiz to win every single week. You can functionally punt stolen bases in the head-to-head categories league and still win it sometimes on pure accident, right? Even Miggy steals a base here and there. So right. uh, it, it's a little different. But no, I, I agree with you. I think there's something to this heat. Uh, that we've seen from Jaron Duran there, you know, there's still definitely speed there in a full season. I think he's a 20 stolen base guy. Uh, 
the question is how many home runs he hits and it's, you know, it's less than 15. Uh, and it might, you know, it might only be 10. And so it just really, you know, I fifth, you know, I'd love to see him play a full season where he's like a 15 home run, 25 stolen base guy. I think that's, that's the player we want him to be. Uh, but you know, whether or not he gets there is more of a question mark simply because like you said, he's, he is limited in power. I mean, when you say he's not pulling the ball, you mean he's not pulling the ball. Oh, he is 17- not pulling the ball. 17%. Yeah, it's bad. <laughs> that, that is. Well, I, don't I, mean, know, I should say it's bad. It's low. <laughs> it's, it's really rough because when you see a guy hitting 43.4% fly balls and 17% of them are pulled, I'm amazed he even has two home runs, right? Players, right. it's really, uh, fly balls have a really low WOBA generally, but it's actually because it looks like this. Pulled fly balls are amazing, right? They tend to give you, I mean, they, there are tons of them are home runs, doubles, those kinds of things. But center and especially opposite field fly balls are worthless, right? They're almost always outs. So to see a guy hitting that many fly balls and none of them are pulled does make me worry a little bit that like, you know, obviously I don't think he can hit 366 like he's hitting right now. Um, I think the ups, you know, over a full season, I'd love to see him hit 100 points less than that. I'd still feel like that's good, right? I, I will say there is there is one type of player for whom opposite field fly balls are not terrible. And that is left-handed hitters at Fenway. <laughs> and and, and that's Durant what Duran is. is. <laughs> right. That's I don't I haven't point. watched enough to know what's going on, but lofted fly balls to left field at Fenway, when they don't turn into home runs, turn into doubles, especially with a guy like him running, right? Like if if he's hitting lazy fly balls to left and, and busting it out of the box, <laughs> that'll work. So yeah, I mean that, that's it's, uh, park. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to watch how that plays out over time. The other thing I would say with Durant is, is he is like, if you look at the, the stat cast numbers, his exit velocities are good. He has a 111.6 max EV. He's got a 49.1% hard hit rate, 11.3% barrel rate right now. I, I think if you want to dream on something here, it's he settles in using this approach and then realizes if I find opportunities to jump on a pitch and turn on it, I could hit for 20, 25 home runs. Like, I, I think that's, that is a, you know, it's a 99th percentile outcome for him, but it's in the range of possibility because he hits the ball so hard. Yeah, for sure. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a few more young hitters and then move on to uh, maybe some vets that are doing things that are surprising us. So uh, we'll be right back after this. Hey, everybody, welcome back to Hacks and Jacks. Uh, we, we've been talking about young players. We just wrapped up on Jaron Duran. I want to talk about just a few more before we break into some of the vets and other players that are surprising us. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a lightning round because we, we've talked about the two guys I thought were the most interesting. <laughs> so we're going to go to some guys that are slightly less interesting. I want to start with Ezekiel Duran, the other Duran of our Duran-Duran combo here. Uh, Ezekiel Duran, uh, another speed guy, maybe a little, you know, again, a little bit of a slap hitter, not a huge power guy. The question with Duran, though, isn't really his his talent or, or what he can do. The question is, is he going to keep playing after Corey Seager comes back? So Duran has been playing primarily as uh, a shortstop because Corey Seager is out. Seager will come back. It shouldn't be too much longer now. The question for Duran is, you know, can he you know, he obviously he has more power than these other hitters. However, you know, can he even keep playing? Right, Ruiz and Duran, I think, have jobs that they can win. Chad, do you think Ezekiel Duran can keep playing? And if he does, what does that look like? 
I, I actually, I think it's, I think it's both talent and job security with him that concerned me. I think like, if you look at what's changed since last year and he was, he was not good last year. It's like, he's striking out about the same, but he's walking a ton less. His chase rate is up. His contact rate is up, but it's up on pitches outside the zone. His contact rate inside the zone is actually down. Uh, and so in this case, his increased chase rate is increasing his contact rate because he's making contact with pitches he shouldn't be swinging at at all. Um, it, it just all feels very tenuous to me. And then on top of that, like, no, there's no spot for him, right? Seager comes back and Seager is the shortstop. There, there's, you know, I don't think anybody's wondering if Duran is going to displace Seager. They've got Simeon at second. Young has been hitting well at third. He's not going anywhere. And even at DH, they've got Mitch Garver's going to be back soon. He's going to take over that DH spot again. And then if you look further down their 40-man roster, they have guys like Luis Angel Acuna, uh, Dustin Harris, even Evan Carter. Like, if this team is serious about competing, those guys are going to have to get a look to see if they can can help. And I just think, I think Duran is going to settle in as a utility guy who plays three times a week, if that. And I'm not sure he's going to be all that good a hitter anyways. Yeah, and I think the even if you believe in the player, right? I think you know we've heard some chatter that the outfield is where Duran could find some playing time. The problem is, uh, there's there's guys in the outfield that are doing well. You know this this Rangers team has seemed to like what they're seeing from Travis Janikowski, who is a fragile but speedy outfielder, a veteran, and importantly, a left-handed hitter. One they don't they they have some switch hitters. They don't have a ton of lefties that they want to play every day. So Janikowski makes a lot of sense for them. Uh, in the outfield, Bobby Grossman's been hitting the ball quite well. Also, he's a vet. You know what you're going to get from him. The floor for a guy like Janikowski or Grossman's a lot higher than Ezekiel Duran. I think the Rangers know that. So it's going to be hard for him to win any meaningful playing time going forward. It'd be cool if he did. But also, as Chad pointed out, this profile is really volatile. It, you know, guys that chase this much and that never walk, they're really prone to hot and cold streaks. We've seen the hot, the cold is coming. And let me tell you, it's going to be very ugly unless he changes that approach. So uh, that's a little scary. Uh, another another Ezekiel, uh, as we call uh, Ezekiel Tovar of the Colorado Rockies is a player who I think in the preseason, I was a lot more excited about despite the fact that he's a young Rocky, which generally means he's going to be jerked around a lot. Uh, I know they've changed ownership and things like that, but the Rockies don't have a great track record with their young players. His full season stat line is not great, but he's been much better of late. Really over the last two weeks or so, we've seen Tovar hit the ball much better. It's still not a, I mean, I don't want to say it's no power, right? It's only two home runs, but he is hitting a ton of doubles. He's got five doubles. Uh, he's also got a, you know, a triple, the two home runs. He doesn't have a stolen base yet, but speed is part of his game. Uh, Chad, what what are you seeing in Ezekiel Tovar? Do you think this is a player that 12 team managers should be looking at right now, or is it still a wait and see? So I'm a little mad at myself because where I picked him up, it was in deeper leagues where I was like, his defense will keep him on the field and he'll be able to work through whatever challenges he has. And then like a couple of weeks ago, I was getting tired of, of waiting instead of being like, oh, this was, this was always the plan, right? The plan was always that when he struggled, you'd wait it out and I'm this is this is me taking a moment to be upset with past self for not waiting a little longer because I I think he's going to be a legitimately good hitter. I don't think he's going to hit for a ton of power. But the nice thing with him with the Rockies is because power isn't his calling card. He isn't dependent on cores like he'll get more power out of himself because of cores. But his ability to put the bat on the ball and, and put up good 
good, solid contact on a regular basis is what's going to drive him. And he can do that at any park. Now, he still has to deal with the fact that pitches move differently and all that kind of stuff. And so it'll, you know, it remains to be seen if he can really be effective on the road. But I, I think the skills are there. The, the thing I'm looking for with him is that the, he's just striking out too much right now. And I don't think he does enough with especially in terms of power to be useful in a 12 team league with that number of strikeouts. Cause he just, he won't be on base enough to score enough runs. He won't get enough hits, get enough RBIs. He's not going to get a ton of home runs. He isn't running right now. And I sort of think that's by design. Like I sort of think he's focused on other stuff. And I, I think right now he's more of a wait and see for me, even though he's been so hot the last couple of weeks in a 12 team league. Unless it's a deeper thing like Adonu where you got a 40-man roster and you might carry five, six middle infielders, like then I'm interested. But in your sort of standard 12-teamer, I'm he, he's a watch list guy for me until, until that strike rate starts to trend down. I'm glad you said watch list because I still think that's one of the most underutilized tools out there. Everyone knows that watch lists exist and nobody uses them uh, because it's a great place to get, you know, when you look at the general waiver wire pool, you get too much crap. You get too much noise. Right, You get too many players who have just, yeah, they had a really good series or they hit two home runs in a game and they're kind of clogging up your waiver wire. Your watch list lets you only look at the players who you think might actually be good long term uh, and just see how they're doing so that you can jump on those players a little quicker. I do think Tovar should be in your watch list. Uh, and again, in deeper leagues, I think he's an ad now. Chad, I think you're absolutely right, though. He doesn't do enough. You know, he doesn't walk enough to be consistent. He's really being carried by... Uh, Babbitt right now it's not because he doesn't deserve the Babbitt he is hitting the ball fairly hard but he has you know these last 13 games where he's been hitting 340 and slugging 617 he only has one walk in that time right so it's a 367 OBP but it's a 340 batting average right and sometimes it's interesting I mean if you really want to see the the impact on OBP just look at the difference between average and OBP right and that'll tell you a lot about like okay this guy's OBP, this guy's ability to get on base is entirely driven by his ability to put the bat on the ball. That's not a bad thing, but for Tovar, a guy who's striking out still, even in this hot stretch, striking out more than 25% of the time, that's going to be very difficult to sustain long-term, even in Coors, right? So right. I, I think it, it is definitely worth listing him. He's a guy who has some speed. He does have a, I mean, he has a really good hit tool. Uh, you know, places peg him as a top 50 overall prospect. Now, a lot of that is because of he's pretty good with the glove as well, as you mentioned. Uh, so just as a fantasy prospect, he might be a little lower than that, but he's got that hit tool. I think that hit tool can especially provide power in Colorado. He's only 21 years old, but uh, I agree. I do think he's more of a watch list guy. Unless you're in a deeper league, you can try to scoop him up right now. Uh, last of these young players making waves that I want to talk about is Miguel Vargas of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And part of the reason for this is because Vargas, obviously he had some heat coming into the season. Vargas is one of the most patient. And actually, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word. Miguel Vargas is one of the most passive hitters historically that we've seen in the minor or major leagues. This guy will go, I mean, multiple games without swinging the bat. Right. So uh, Vargas is very interesting that way. Uh, and but lately, you know, he started the season off doing exactly that, being this super patient, super passive hitter. And so he had this great OBP, but his slugging was considerably worse than his OBP because he was never hitting the ball. And the few times he did, it wasn't very hard. What we've seen the last, you know, really week, week and a half is Vargas is walking way less, but he's hitting the ball with power. Right. The OBP is only a little over 300 for this recent stretch, but 
there's, there's power there, power that we just weren't seeing in the beginning of the year when he was only walking. Chad, what do you think about Miguel Vargas? Do you think there's a way for him to sort of strike a balance between this incredibly passive, frustratingly passive hitter and a guy who can hit the ball with power who, you know, he's shown that he can hit the ball hard. Do you think he finds that balance? Yeah, it's a good question. I think that, you know, we talked about, you're talking about tools you like to use and, and rolling charts. And one of the things I noticed with him is his rolling hard hit rate is actually trending down. But I think this is a good example of where statistics can, can lie to you a little bit because a super passive hitter who only swings occasionally could run a very high hard hit rate by avoiding anything that might lead to not hard hit contact. And then when you start swinging more and putting the ball in play more, your hard hit rate drops, even though you're hitting the ball hard more often because hard hit rate is a per batted ball event statistic. So just a sort of interesting little side note on him. I still want to see more pop from him before I get too excited. I think the last, you know, week, 10 days have been him. There, there's progress there, but it's it's so brief. Now, I think the good thing is when you start to talk about upside, if he does start punishing pitches on a regular basis and then pitchers have to account for that because his zone rate has gone up, right? Pitchers were like, all right, you're not going to swing. I'll throw you a strike. If he starts punishing those strikes, then they're going to start throwing him pitches outside the zone again, and he'll get to use that plate discipline. So I think the, the reality is at some level, he has to find that balance. He's either going to become a guy who can hit for decent power and draw a ton of walks, or he's going to do neither because pitchers aren't going to let him draw walks if he doesn't show he can hit for power. So it's sort of a like I, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Again, in deeper leagues, I've got him on rosters, but I'm not usually using him a ton. I'm just sort of sitting on him to wait to see how this all plays out. In, in shallower leagues, again, he's still sort of a watch list guy for me because I just he hasn't yet shown me that he can do all of that. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, my biggest complaint about Miguel Vargas has been he doesn't swing the bat, right? It's it's fantasy baseball, not fantasy walk ball or whatever dumb joke you want to make, right? <laughs> walks, are, walks are situationally valuable. If you're in an OBP league, it means you can have a lot more patience with Vargas because he's always going to walk it some de- in some degree. Uh, you know, again, just the last week, week and a half or so, he's shown a much lower walk rate, sort of like an average walk rate, which for him is much lower than you'd expect. But uh, it's still a player who he never swings. And when you don't ever swing, it, it puts a lot more pressure on what happens when you do swing. I think you were alluding to that quite well. This is a guy who, if he's not going to swing, he has to really maximize damage when he does. And we saw a little bit of that. He had a three doubles game recently. And I'm really watching for that. Just see, can he string together games with, you know, can he put together some streaks where he's got some extra base hits? Uh, because otherwise the Dodgers, they're not the offense they used to be, but this is still a deep team. And this is a team who uh, doesn't necessarily need to commit all that many resources into Miguel Vargas right now. Uh, they can put other players there. They can platoon. They can do whatever they want because uh, they probably still feel like they've got a good shot to win this division. So uh, I think the Dodgers... Yeah, they're going to keep being patient with him, but uh, I need, I almost need Miguel Vargas to be a little less patient. I'm really, I'm really excited to see what some of the stats look like when our own PLV values get updated for uh, 2023 data, because we have some great stats that talk about uh, whether swing decisions were generally good or bad. A player with a really, uh, that's really, really passive can really go one of two ways. They can either look not so good on the swing decisions because they should have swung at pitches that they could have done damage to, or of course they look really, really good because they're incredibly selective and they only swing at the stuff in the zone. So interested. I'm interested to see what happens when we get that data. But as you said, Miguel Vargas, he's got to be a watch list guy until he's routinely 
hitting the ball hard. This is not someone who should slug 394. He should be a four, you know, he, he has the ability to slug 450 or better, but not if he doesn't swing the bat. So uh, we're going to take another quick break. Then we're going to get into talking about some uh, a mix of vets who are hot and cold. And I also want to talk about two young outfielders who have really been hot topics, who have come up a lot and a lot of stuff I'm working on just to talk about red flags and things like that for young sluggers. So we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. And just, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just kind of be selective in the players we talk about in the next, you know, couple things so that we can finish up uh, with a reasonable time. Um, sure. We'll start, I think, with with Rooker and Suwinski, and then we'll go on and just sort of pick and choose from these hot hitters and vets, just whoever we feel like talking about. Uh, I do want to yeah. do at the very end, I do want to sort of do that. Would you rather uh, with some of those vets and um, hot players? Because I think those are the things that people are thinking about. Sounds good. All right, cool. And we are back to Hacks and Jacks. I am joined again. I'm Scott Chu. This is Chad Young. We are talking about some hitters. I want to talk about two young players who I think have been really hot topics. They're probably not available in most competitive leagues right now, but they're a good example of the types of things we have to think about early in fantasy season. I'm talking about Brent Rooker and Jack Sawinski. So Rooker, uh, a former Minnesota twin, he gets shipped out of Minnesota to Oakland because Minnesota didn't feel like they had anywhere to put him because of the sort of this glut of corner outfielders that they had on the roster especially after signing Joey Gallo. Uh, and then Jack Swinski, who we've seen flashes of power from. Uh, he's a Pittsburgh Pirate. Uh, we've seen him hit the ball really hard. We've also seen him fade out because of strikeouts. Uh, Chad, either of these two players, you know, what, what's your impression of, of these two guys that we've seen early in the season? And what are you sort of looking for with these players who come out screaming out the gate, hitting tons of home runs? Yeah, I mean, with both these guys, I think the, the thing that stands out is they both have legitimate power. Like they are... They're strong hitters who hit the ball hard. And so the, there's reason to believe in the power. And so from a, from a fantasy perspective for me, like I like to buy in on guys like this, even if I think that things might fall apart at some point, because the upside, if they keep it up, is so high. And so you, you pick them up, you ride the streak while it's going. And if they start to fall apart, you can move on when it's time. But there are some real red flags with with both these guys, even though I have picked both of them up in different different leagues. Um, Swinsky's K rate is already going up and his season is honestly, it's been, it's been a roller coaster. The first like quarter of his plate appearances so far, he had a 42 WRC plus the next 50% of his plate appearances. He had a 234 WRC plus. And since then, the last quarter of his plate appearances are a negative four WRC plus. So he's been sort of all over the place already. And I I'm, you know, I I'm still right now sort of waiting to see how this goes, but if this down turn goes another week or so I'm probably going to move on because he is going to be a guy who's going to run these hot streaks and cold streaks and I don't I don't want to sit with him in my lineup when he's this cold because when he's cold like when you're cold and you're striking out things can't go well for you all you do is swing and miss and, and that's that's concerning with Rooker the strikeout rate's been good but his swinging strike rate this year is 16.8 percent that's the third highest in baseball and there's just no way he will sustain the strikeout rate he has with that swing strike rate, and especially considering how patient he is. He walks at a pretty high rate because he's patient. But if you're that patient, it means you're taking a lot of pitches. And if you're swinging through a lot of the pitches you swing at and you're taking a lot of pitches, like that's not a good combination for a low strikeout rate. So I, I sort of think they're both headed the wrong direction eventually, but they're both going to run these kind of hot streaks at different times. It's, it's a little bit like the conversation we had way at the top about Patrick wisdom. 
Um, they don't strike out quite as much as Patrick Wisdom, and so I, I like them a little bit better from that perspective. But I think they both have that same sort of general issue and, and profile. Yeah, I, I'm glad you talked about the whiff rate for Rooker because actually both these players, something that's very interesting is both of them have been with, been chasing much less than they did in the past, right? They're not swinging stuff outside the zone. Uh, Sawinski, uh, you know, obviously he's made a, a huge improvement on that. He was only swinging at nine, so far 19.7 pitches outside the zone. Uh, generally speaking, sub 20% is fantastic, right? Rooker also 23.7% uh, chase rate. Uh, how often he's swinging stuff outside the zone. Those are really, really good numbers. The problem is they both still whiff a lot. That means they're missing, as you pointed out, in the zone. And that's a really, really rough thing, right? Because that basically tells you that pitchers can challenge these guys in the zone and win over and over again. Uh, th these are two guys that that do swing the bat really, really hard and have a huge propensity to to miss, right? And and that's that's scary to me. Uh, you know, again, both of them taking walks. Obviously, Rooker's strikeout rate much better. Sawinski, the one that I'm the most concerned about. Uh, I even mentioned this in the Reddit a AMA and. And over the weekend, he did not sort of make me feel any better. He's on a horrific, like, six-game streak right now. Seven, if you include a, a pinch-hit appearance where he struck out. And generally speaking, the, the Pirates' offense has really just fallen apart as a whole uh, after being ridiculously hot and ruining a lot of people's uh, pitching streams. Where, you know, with Rooker, the, the power, again, it, it's there. It's very real. Both these guys, if they play a full season, very easily can hit. 35 home runs, right? There's no question about the what the type of power these guys can bring to the table. Question is, how like what do the stretches look like? I think Rooker has a better floor than Sawinski. I think their ceilings are roughly similar. Uh maybe, you know, Rooker's is a little better if he continues to not strike out at this, you know, if he continues to have this sub 25% strikeout rate, though it's worth noting that both in the majors and minors, he's never really done that for any meaningful period of time. Uh, so that that's kind of new. And that's the thing I think about Rooker that makes him different for me than Sawinski. Cause when we look at Sawinski, we see the same stuff we've seen from him before. Yeah. He's chasing less, which is cool, but everything else, the strikeout rates, the real, like the prolonged hot and cold spells, the, the sort of the extreme up and downs that's Sawinski. He's what I used to, uh, you'll appreciate this uh, being a guardians guy. I used to call Fran Mill Reyes the heartbeat hitter because he was either really, really hot and crushing <laughs> everything, or he was abysmal right? Uh, and then as he got older, of course, his ability to hold on to those hot streaks just really faded away. So we couldn't be a useful player over the course of a whole season. Um, I, I, I'm not saying both the, I'm not saying either of these guys are Fran Reyes, but they do have, they have profiles that can lead to that sort of very hot and then very cold because of how often they whiff, particularly how often they whiff in the zone. So I think if I'm watching, both these guys were worth rostering. Rooker, especially, he's probably already rostered in, in every league you're in. They're both worth at least watching. Sawinski might be better off on your waiver wire. Rooker absolutely needs to be rostered. But what you're going to keep looking at, I think, is that is that ability to make contact in the zone. Because if they keep showing these horrible whiff rates on pitches in the zone, it's just really hard to see, I think, a prolonged path to success. Because you can't miss at strikes that often. It sounds yeah. it's overly simplistic, but that, you just can't miss it strikes that often and have long-term success in Major League Baseball. Yeah, and if your leagues are like my leagues, like these guys have been picked up and, and often picked up with rather high fab bids if you're in a fab league or something like that. And that to me, like if I won those bids, they're sell highs to me if I can. I'm I'm shopping both of them where I have them. Yeah, it's just... 
again, it, this, I don't want this to sound like I think Rooker is bad or that you have like it's not so much a have to sell because if you can't get any good offers, you can't get any good offers and, and you hold it. But again, th- there's a huge red flag and it's missing pitches in the zone. And so you have to at least be watching that because if they start getting cold, that is almost certainly going to be the reason why. Oh, and, and early in the show, I talked about a guy who's turning like, uh, you know, who, who's hitting a lot of line drives. Rooker is a guy who's hitting a ton of line drives, 24.2% line drive rate. He's always shown a high line drive rate, even in the minors. What's interesting is that he's turned up. Uh, he's really sort of hitting a lot of, you know, fly balls along with it. Again, something he's done in the minors as well, but it's really something to keep an eye on because if, pitchers attack him differently that can be one way that you see these line drive and ground ball rates sort of start to switch or sort of start to get crossed up and you see line drives go down ground balls go up it just a lot of it is how pitchers attack uh what types of pitches and where they throw them so again another thing to watch for rooker but most importantly make you know hopefully what we see from him for him to really unlock that potential he's gotta just not whiff on so many pitches in the zone. It's fine if he whiffs on the stuff outside the zone because he can start laying off those. But if you can't hit strikes, there's nothing you can do about it. Pitchers will just keep feeding them to you. So you know, let's let's sort of wrap this up. Let's talk about some hot, I want to talk about a mix of hot and cold players and then talk about whether we'd make the swap for them. I'll start with the good news, the hot hitters. I'm going to list them off, sort of go rapid fire. And I think Chad afterwards, you can just tell me if you want to pick one or two of those guys to sort of add to, I think that'd be great. I'll go first. Anthony Rendon, he's someone who's really been hot the last week or two. Uh, someone who I think was a sleeper for some folks in the offseason. I know he wasn't high on my list because he's looked so bad while playing through those injured seasons. He's someone to really think about. If, in fact, he is fully healthy, there could be a very good hitter there. We've seen Lamont Wade Jr. of the Giants be quite hot. He's a guy who can play all over in fantasy baseball. He's got a lot of eligibility, and he leads off for the Giants. So uh, if he can keep leading off, I think there's a valuable player there. Nick Senzel is back from the dead. He was a one-time prospect. He's been getting some regular run with the Reds. I think the big question for him is, does he get to keep getting run with the Reds as they start to get a little healthier? Uh, Maybe the best hitter over the last week and a half or so, Lords Gurriel Jr. Uh, He's been a player who's just been crazy up and down the last few seasons. Last season, he couldn't hit any home runs. Uh, We've seen him hit for power. We've seen him not hit for power. We've seen him look great. We've seen him look terrible. He's just been such a roller coaster. So uh, he's, he's really hard to get a feel for. A guy who I kind of rag on a lot, Javier Baez, impressive contacts numbers recently. Uh, he's striking out, he really, it's just, you know, the last two weeks or so, striking out less than 15% of the time, taking walks. I mean, it's a really weird look for Javier Baez. Um, and, you know, I've previously been concerned that when he's not swinging more freely, he's not hitting for power. He's hitting for a little bit more power right now. So I'm wondering if we have a new Javier Baez. And finally, another hot hitter I've been asked about is Eddie Rosario, who I don't want to spend too much time on because he's an incredibly free-swinging player who sometimes gets hot, sometimes gets cold. He happens to be hot right now. I'm not sure I care. Chad, what are your feelings about uh, some or any of these players? So I am I am very much in on Lamont Wade Jr. Uh, he's been, when he has played, he's been good. And it, it for him, it's been having opportunities and, and staying on the field and staying healthy. And like, you know, He's he's in a great spot and he's hitting well and I'm I, I'm a believer in him for sure. I've picked him up a few places. I am uh struggling with Rendon a little bit. I, I was actually pretty high on Rendon in the offseason, as you mentioned. He was getting some hype, and I I was like, hey, if he's healthy, like let's see what he can do. And then like 
he was struggling early. He had a little injury early. And then he had that weird thing where he like almost assaulted, semi-assaulted a fan. Like it was like a, there was a whole mess with him. And I was just, I finally sort of bailed on him and now he's hitting pretty well. But I, as I was looking into him a little bit more um, over at Fangraphs, Jeff Zimmerman writes the mining the news articles, which are just absolutely great and full of wonderful stuff. And one of the nuggets he pointed out there was that it was a quote from Rendon talking about how he thinks the power is coming because he's been lacking that. But Zimmerman pointed out that Rendon's pull rate is uh, it's it's low. It's not Jaron Duran low because nobody's pull rate is Jaron Duran low. But for a guy who's run sort of 40 to 43 percent pull rates for his career, Rendon is down at 31.2 percent. And that's a little concerning to me in terms of not just his ability to hit for power, but like what does it say about his bat speed and things like that? Um, And so I'm. I'm torn between being like, okay, he's he's hitting well and he's always been a good hitter when he's healthy and sort of thinking like this version of him where he's walking a ton, he's not striking out at all and he's hitting for high average, but like he's not going to hit for a ton of power might just sort of be who he is. And I'm not sure how excited I am about him as a fantasy manager if I don't think he's going to hit 25 plus home runs. And I don't, I just don't know that I see that in him anymore. Yeah, I think the pull rate is very interesting for Rendon. You know, it's interesting. He's a player who we say, like, oh, he's been good when healthy. But at what point have you been injured so many times that the healthy version of you is different? Right? I mean, yeah. it's a very it's a very nebulous thing to try to get into. I'm not sure I can give you stats for it. But at some point, you become worn down, right? Like, Miguel Cabrera, Cabrera was a healthy hit- hitter until he wasn't, right? And eventually, he just had enough core injuries that the healthy version of Miguel Cabrera was just a different guy right? A combination of age breaking down over time. It does happen. Is that happening to Rendon? I'm not sure, but it's, it's, it is good to point out that the pull rate's not there. The way he's driving this hot streak is unusual and not something that can be, I think, easily turned into long-term fantasy success. So I think Rendon is the most interesting of this group, except for, like you said, maybe Lamont Wade Jr., who really just needs opportunities more than anything. Uh, but even then, I think all of them uh, have their issues so you know, let's talk a little bit about some vets playing poorly. One guy turning around just barely recently, Ty France of the Mariners. He's had a really slow start to the season, particularly with power, getting a little better the last few days. Uh, so maybe that's turning it around. But he's a player that's tough to be patient for because he's not a big power hitter. He doesn't hit 300. He's just a guy who hits in the middle of a good lineup and can accumulate a lot of stats. But you can't do that when you're not hitting for any power player in this group I'm maybe the most concerned about is Jose Abreu, right? I, I think the real question with Abreu is, can you cut him? Uh, and what's the shallowest league you would cut him? Tasker Hernandez, of course, slumping mightily. He is a free-swinging slugger, not not entirely unlike a Jack Swinski or Brett Rooker or something like that, except uh, Teoscar never ended up holding very high walk rates, so it makes him just that much more volatile. So right now it's a cold streak. Do we think this is a different cold streak than what we've seen before? Uh, a couple of guardians on this list, uh, Andre Simenez and Ahmed Rosario, both guys who uh, really should be solid middle infield kind of guys who just really haven't put it together uh, all that well. And Willie Adamas, who has been up and down this season, but recently very cold. Uh, you know what I'll say about Adamas, and he's the one I'll spend a little bit more time on. He's a good example of why rolling charts have been useful. Willie Adamas goes through slumps, right? Every player goes through slumps. And while 
Adamas' slump recently has been pretty ugly. It's not that different from slumps we've seen for him in the past. In fact, in each of the last two or three seasons, he's had slumps just like this. Uh, and, you know, thankfully, he's quickly rebounded and put up the seasons he's put up for the last two or three seasons. So using the rolling chart, I could kind of see that this is not a new low for him. It's just a very noticeable low because, as we've talked about a few times in this episode, there's just not a lot of other data to go with it. So it, it hasn't gone through the wash yet. It, it hasn't gotten evened out with all the hot streaks. You just see this cold streak, and it's really dragging on his overall line. That rolling chart gave me a little bit of confidence to keep waiting on Adonis. Uh, now, if he doesn't turn it around for another two or three weeks and we start seeing a new low, uh, a, a slump that is worse than we've seen before, then I think the conversation changes a bit. But uh, until that happens, I think right now we say, yeah, he's cold, but you got to leave him in because he then gets hot. He turns those numbers around quick and you don't want that to happen on your bench so that all you got was the slump and then you benched him for the recovery and then put him back in when he plateaued. Right? You don't want to do that. It's a it's a classic like stock buying mistake, right? You buy it when it's all, you know, you buy it when it was already at the top and then it starts to go bad. So you sell it um, and you just don't get any of your return back. Right. So you don't want to do this with Adamas. You want to keep him in the lineup for now because this is just a normal slump for him. But keep an eye on that. See, you know, if it gets worse for another two or three weeks, then I might start changing my mind. Chad, you know, do you have any specific thoughts about, you know, I'll go through that list again. Ty France, Jose Abreu, Teoscar Hernandez, Andres Jimenez, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, any of those guys kind of stand out to you or, or something you're seeing from them? Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Abreu, and we've talked about Abreu on the Keeper Cup podcast. Your question on Abreu was, you know, can you drop him? And if so, like how how shallow a league? And I think the answer to both of those questions is yes. You can drop him no matter how shallow your league. Like, I just, or how deep your league. Like, it's a little bit extreme because obviously, you know, in, a, in like a 20-teamer where there's corner infield spot, like somebody's going to have Abreu on their roster. But uh, you know, he's another guy who we talked about it with, with Rendon, like pull rate being sort of a, a sign of issues with bat speed. And his pull rate has continued to drop his batted ball, like his contact quality has continued to drop. His exit velocities are down. His barrel rate is down. His hard hit rate is down. Like, And, and this is a trend that started last year. And one of the things that sort of I don't know. I found very odd in the off season was everyone was like, Oh, he's going to Houston. It's like, it's a great lineup. Plus he's going to have the Crawford boxes and like, he can, he can just pepper home runs in the Crawford boxes as if everybody forgot that he had been playing in Chicago in just an absolute, you know, hitters Haven for the last 10 years. Like, it's not like he went from like, Oh, he's been at, you know, in San Francisco or San Diego or Miami. And now he gets to go to the Crawford box. It's like, he was downgrading his power park, despite the Crawford boxes seeming like such a good fit for him. And he only had 15 home runs last year. So last year, if you had him, he got you a good average. He had 304. He did you no good in power. And his runs and RBIs, he had 160 runs plus RBIs. No stolen bases, as you'd expect. So that's, I think that's sort of what he is, except with further regression. And he had a 350 Babbitt last year, which is what propped up that 304 batting average. So I think you're likely looking at a guy who is not going to help you in batting average, is not going to hit, like he has yet to hit a home run this year. I, I think at this point, like he's more likely to hit 10 home runs than he is to hit 20. And I just like, and my corner infield spot, I no, thank you. I'm just not interested. I, 
I unfortunately completely agree with you, right? With with Jose Abreu, I just can't imagine outside, you know, you have to really be talking about 15 team and deeper uh, to be considering keeping him. He's an absolute sandbag for you right now. The, the X stats, you know, they're telling you the same story as the regular stats and that it's not good, right? He can't, yeah. he's not, he has five, he has five barrels on the season. That's a 4.9%. It's probably his five doubles. Right. Like he has that's how many he has five extra bases, extra base hits this season right now. One hundred and forty three plate appearances and five extra base hits. Um, you don't yeah. need to know a lot about how that ratio works out to know that's really, really bad. Right? It's the the really only bad. thing, the only thing that gives me a little bit of hope with him and it's not really a, a stat. It's like a hard thing to look at. But like the Astros are a pretty smart organization and they gave him a three year contract and almost 20 million dollars a year this offseason. And so part of me is like. I think the Astros are smarter than me and they like, even though I was out, they were in. So like, what am I still missing? But then there's the other part of me that thinks maybe I'm smarter than the Astros and this is just a, a terrible contract. So I, it's unfortunate that like, I, I feel like I'm trying to look for like, what am I missing that, that the Astros are seeing? And I can't find it. I can't find anything in his profile. Like there's just nothing that looks good to me right now. So I'm, I, yeah, I'm just out. He's he's not. Yeah, he's not walking, right? I mean, he was never much of a walker. He got a little better the previous two seasons. He's but he's not walking. He's not hitting it hard. Uh, he's making contact, kinda, but it's not very good. Again, it, I I think there's you know there is something about you know teams smart you know teams that you would think are intelligent teams who have made good roster decisions making this kind of extension. Now, granted their track record with veterans isn't always so good, right? Because they gave a contract to Michael Brantley as well, who uh, has really sort of not been what they hoped for that entire thing. He's been you know, okay in spurts, but uh, yeah, Abreu, even if the Astros are right, I don't think he needs to be on your roster for you to find that out. Because even if they're right, like the type of player that he could be, I, I think that what we saw in 2022 is the current ceiling. I just don't think it gets much better than that. And I don't think you need to wait very long for a player with that kind of ceiling because it's not that much, right? It's just, especially in 10 or 12 teamers where you don't have a corner infield spot. I mean, there's just, you can stream better, I think, than Jose Abreu's ceiling right now. So it's just someone you have to like, oh, which again, is it's not fun to say like, oh, this guy who's been so, you know, so great for so long. Uh, but, you know, he's someone you got to let go. I think the way we'll end the show is I do want to talk about just some this or that sort of options uh, for, you know, it, you know, we're going to talk about this really from a 12 team standard league context. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of giving us the no middle infield, no corner infield, three outfield. That can be a little bit boring for these discussions, but uh, <laughs> real, real quick. We'll start, you know, at, at the corners. Um, if you currently roster Ty France or Jose Abreu, are you dropping them for Lamont Wade Jr. or Anthony Rendon? Oh, so it's, a, it's an or. So this is interesting because when I read this, when I saw this in your notes, I was like, man, would I drop that, like this pair for that pair? And that was a really hard one for me because I am not done with Ty France. I think Ty France is going to be fine. Uh, hold on one second, Scott. Sorry. Mm -hmm. What? Sure. Sorry, my kids just got home from school and oh, needed to ask about snacks. <laughs> uh, you can edit that out or not. It's totally up to you. We'll see. <laughs> um, so... Uh, I'm I'm not out on Ty France. I have France in a number of places. I like Ty France. As I said, I'm completely out on Abreu. I am still a little bit like Abreu and Rendon actually in some ways feel very similar to me. Like the their 
there's reasons to believe the power has dried up, and I'm not sure that at first or third base, that's really what I'm looking for. So I think the answer is given this choice, I would, if I, like, if I had both France and Abreu and Wade and Rendon were both free agents, I would drop Abreu to pick up Wade, but I would leave Rendon on the bench on the wire and keep France. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. It would be a little harder to look at both because I agree. I would want, I like France the most of this group. So I don't know if I'd want to drop him, but I, I think a Brayu for Lamont Wade Jr. is a pretty easy change for me to make. If you wanted to cut a Brayu for Rendon, I think that's fine. Right. I think Rendon right now is a hot version of Jose Abreu. Right. So if you wanted to ride the hot hand between and the two, and third go ahead. base instead of first base, third base yeah. instead of first base does matter. So, yeah. So, yeah, that, those two guys not very excited about. And I would absolutely swap Jun- Wade, Lamont Wade Jr. for Jose Abreu. So if, if you're one of those Abreu uh, managers, yeah, go ahead and make that switch. Right. Lamont Wade Jr. is available. Uh, is, Available at first base, at least in Yahoo leagues. I haven't checked for some of the others, but that's a move you can make. Uh, next, uh, a guy you know, from your Guardians who I think should be better than what we've seen so far, Ahmed Rosario. Would you be Would you be thinking about letting him go in a shallower league for Ezekiel Duran or Javier Baez? So this is a hard one for me, only because as we we talked about with Duran before, that I you know I don't think there's a lot there moving forward. Baez is interesting, and I like looking at his rolling strikeout rate. Like his his you know his rolling strikeout rate right now is almost at the lowest point it's been in the last five seasons, dating back to the 2018 season. Um, There was one point in sort of middle late 2018 that his rolling strikeout rate dipped lower, and it's been consistently headed down since late last year. And so that piece is sort of interesting. And I am intrigued to see, I, I'm intrigued to see where that leads. Now I am not a big Javier Baez believer. I, I've never been a big believer. And so I'm not super inclined to go after him. And so I think the reality is for me, like I don't really want any of these guys. I don't think like Rosario is, is a, he's a bit of a better real life player than he is a fantasy player because he just doesn't like, he hits a lot of singles. Like I think he was like second or third in baseball in singles last year, which is super valuable for your team. But in in fan for a real team, but in fantasy, it means he's like he's going to help you in average. And he we'll see. Like right now, he's still hitting second in the lineup, which gives him a good shot to score some runs and maybe even drive in some runs. But like he may lose his stranglehold on that second spot, and that. That would really change things. He also has a bunch of prospects coming up behind him. The The Guardians have talked about Gabriel Arias needing more time. He started a shortstop yesterday. They've talked, they've got Tyler Freeman who needs time. They've got Brian Rocchio tearing up AAA. Like they've got a bunch of guys who could supplant Rosario at any time. So I think the reality is that if I had to choose between these three, I'd probably ride Duran while he's hot, while continuing to track Baez's strikeout rate and see if it stays low, but I'd be happy to move on from any of them, depending on who else is on the wire in a 12 teamer, like in a standard 12 teamer, there's probably another free agent. I like better than any of these guys. Yeah. I'm actually, I I was going to like give you some rapid fire. I'm just kind of looking at ESPN's most added, most dropped. I'm looking at some of these uh, most, I mean, there's not many shortstops that have been added a lot, but guys who are rostered in very few leagues would be Luis Garcia, the the one from the Nationals, Ezekiel Tovar, who we talked about earlier on the show, guy who just got activated from the IL, Orlando Garcia. Would you put the 
the guys we've been talking about, Ahmed Rosario, Ezekiel Duran, uh, would you put them in that same boat? Like all those guys just kind of, you know, I'll stream whatever is available and whoever fits my needs more. Yeah. I mean, I think right now, if I had to pick one, I would take Arcia. He's been really good since like, he was actually better last year than I think people realized. And he was excellent before getting hurt this year. He plays in a great lineup. Uh, I think Arcia is the one of those guys I would take for now, knowing that if things fall apart for him or he starts to struggle, like I'll move on to whoever's next. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, it's it's just, I mean, this is around that streaming line in 12-team leagues where, you know, I get asked a lot, uh, who do you like better rest of season? And the answer for a question like this is it doesn't matter, right? Because I would totally not be agree. intending to roster any of them for the whole season unless they really spiked, right? Like if Orlando Arcia stayed healthy and, and looked like he has for the last season or so, uh, yeah, absolutely. He's the one I like the most, but I'll take any of them if they get hot, right? And I'll cut the one I've got because I just don't need to be that loyal to these guys uh, just because we haven't seen enough yet for at least a redraft league to be super committed to any of them. Finally, we'll talk about the outfield, a guy who I think was drafted fairly early in drafts, but let's be clear, you can't get that draft capital back, right? It's spent, it's gone. You spent it on Teoscar Hernandez. Are you willing to let him go for someone like Jaron Duran or Jack Swinski? It feels a little reactive to to bail on Teoscar already. Like he's been a pretty consistent, strong performer for a while now, and I, I like maybe there's a world in which I'm like, I really need stolen bases, and so I'm going to pick up Duran and drop him. But like, it it feels like I don't know. It feels like an overreaction to four weeks of baseball, five weeks of baseball to me to to bail on Teoscar already. Like if you drafted him, then presumably if you drafted him, given the price he was going for, you believed in what he was doing and that he was going to continue to hit for good power. And I think that I'd rather wait for that power to come around than than jump ship right now. I agree. And even just the last seven games should be like some sort of sign of what we're talking about. This is a guy who does run hot and cold, like over his last 30 plate appearances, he's still striking out 30% of the time, but he's hitting 296, 367, 481. He's got a home run and two doubles in that span, uh, a bunch of runs scored just because they've been able to score some runs lately uh, against Oakland and, and Houston surprisingly. But yeah, I mean, this is what Teoscar Hernandez is. He's a hot and cold guy and he was cold. Now he's hot. You can't, like I mentioned earlier, you don't want to just cut him because he's been cold for a while because that means you're going to miss the hot streaks. And that's just something that Teoscar Hernandez does, right? Um, even if you believe he's only as good as he was last season, which is 25 home runs, 267 average, quite a, you know, more strikeouts than you like, very average walks. Like, I think that's better. That, that 25 home runs, 77 RBI, 267 batting average. I think that's better than Sawinski or Duran. Yeah, and I think like, if you, if Teoscar had been himself for April and then got cold in May, I'm not even sure most people would notice. Like you would notice because you'd go check your lineup every day and be like, oh, he did nothing again. This is really frustrating. But you wouldn't be debating dropping him because you'd be like, I saw in April that he is the same, like what he's capable of. And I, I just think it's like, we, we overreact to these small samples when they're the only data we have or when there's something that makes them stick out, right? So a guy gets traded and gets really hot or really cold after a trade. And all of a sudden it's like, maybe he can't hit in that park. Maybe he can't hit with that team. Maybe this is the wrong fit for him. Whereas like, also maybe it's just a slump. And, and the beginning of the season is sort of prime time for this like, 
maybe this guy is now a star. Maybe this guy is now terrible, right? It's sort of where we, we started the show was talking about that, that overreaction to these small samples. And that's, that's I think, what it is to, to be thinking about cutting Teoscar right now is very much a like, you know, if he went through this slump in June, you wouldn't have noticed or cared other than to maybe be a little frustrated. So why cut him now? I tried to bait you as much as I could, and it didn't work. But I agree, <laughs> right? I think you do have to hold Teoscar. That doesn't mean that Duran, uh, you know, especially Duran or Swinski, that doesn't mean they're not worth rostering. But this isn't the cut you can make. And I think the last thing I'll say is we talked about, you know, hitters that are hot and and players you should really be watching. But just because we say a player should be rostered doesn't always mean they should be rostered by you. And if Teoscar Hernandez is the worst outfielder you have, the only one you can think about cutting to try to grab Jaron Duran, it means you can't pick up Jaron Duran right now. Um, It means you're not the person that can take advantage of that because that doesn't make your team better, at least not for the long term. And that's a difficult thing to sort of grapple with because you'll hear us saying, like, Jaron Duran is worth picking up. He is worth watching. But maybe not for you. Because if you're in that 12-team league with only three outfielders and you loaded up on them early in the draft, so it's you know, Teoscar's the third one you got, which isn't that hard to do, actually. Uh, you know, that means, you know, Jaron Duran should be rostered and not by you, which stinks, right? I mean, hope maybe you have a utility guy that's ready for you to cut and you can bring in Duran. But if that's the one, if that's the choice you got to make, you have to make the right choice. And that's Teoscar Hernandez. You have to let someone else get Jaron Duran, which stinks. But, you know, uh, if there, there's other players out there. And I think that's one of the hardest things for people when I'm talking to them, you know, in the comments on the hitter list or in the AMA or, or via direct messages or whatever, is just kind of letting them know that like, yeah, this player's good and you don't have room for him. So it, it's, it's a tough thing, but it is real, especially in some of these shallower leagues. That's what makes shallower leagues harder than some people I think give them credit for. It's hard in those 12 team standard leagues, like in our staff leagues, because there's good players out there. You really want to add and you can't make the cut. Yeah, it's a it's a good problem to have, right? Like being in a situation where you're like, "Wow, Jaron Duran's good, but there's no one on my roster that I'm I'm willing to cut for him." Either you're making the wrong decision and you're you're too attached to your guys, which can happen, or you've got a good roster and you've got good players. Like if Teoscar Hernandez is your droppable outfielder that you had, that if you had to go out there and get there, like that's a good problem to have. That means your outfield is probably going to be very good once Teoscar gets going, and he's going to get going. Yeah. And and the last thing I'll say is we're seeing this a little bit right now from like Lewis Robert. Uh, These guys that we had ranked high or that we say have high ceilings like Teoscar Hernandez, Lewis Robert. uh, We saw this last year with Bo Bichette. Sometimes these guys slump for a while, but what sets them apart is the amount of damage they can do in a short time. Right. A guy like uh, Bo Bichette, who was quite average for most of the season. Right. He was okay. He then turns it on for a month and a half and ends up one of the best players in fantasy. He needed a month and a half to do it, right? Lewis Robert can move to near the top of the fantasy outfield rankings with two weeks because of the type of damage he's able to do. Teoscar Hernandez, like you were saying earlier, Chad, could absolutely be a top 30 outfielder by, or even top 25 outfielder by the end of May, um, even if he's not blistering hot the whole time because he's got that kind of power. He can make that kind of impact. That's something that's very hard for other players to do. That's not something Jaron Duran, I think, can do for very long, right? Uh, whereas Teoscar Hernandez absolutely can. He can absolutely do that. It's very real. We've seen him do it. So that's, you know, it's just another thing to think about with these with these big-time players. There's a reason we say, like, wait for the talent because the talent can rebound really, really fast and in ways that some of these guys that you'd stream in simply can't do. But 
Thanks everyone for listening. I'm glad I was able to talk baseball with you, Chad. It was a lot of fun. Chad, if you want to remind people one more time where they can find you and what you're working on. Yeah. Best place to find me is at Chad Young on Twitter. Uh, you can also find my my writing at Fangraphs, where I write mostly about auto new and keeper leagues, and also the Keep or Cut podcast. That's cut with a K. Keep or Cut podcast, right here on the Pitchless Podcast Network. You can check it out. Uh, we have lots of good content for anyone who's in keeper leagues. So, yeah, I, I know uh, it is. It is one that that I listen to. It's been nice because you've been taking that Monday slot sometimes, and that's when I remember to refresh <laughs> my uh, my list. So. Um, Yo, again, thank you for being on the show. Again, I'm Scott Chu. You can find me on Twitter at if the Chu yep. fits. Hopefully next weekend it'll be uh, me and my buddy Joe Galina. Not that we didn't like having you on, Chad. And I'm really glad you were <laughs> able to come on and help me out here. I did not have enough material to talk about myself. So, uh, uh, you know, if you're out there, you know, please feel free to reach out to really anyone in PitcherList. If you're in our Discord, you know, reach out to us, talk to us. We want to talk to you about some of these decisions. I think this is a time when a lot of people are really panicking. So. You know, don't be afraid to to ask people for help or, or to, you know, try to make the right decisions. But anyway, thank you all for listening. Hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time. 